pray that you would be God. We pray that you would protect us as we listen. We ask that you would soften our hearts as we listen. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be dynamic in our ears, in our minds, in our hearts. In your word, reveal the truth of your word, cause us to gain a more solid foundation in your purpose. Teach us to worship you, our Father in heaven, whose name is far above all other names. Amen. We're actually in Matthew, but we're actually in Luke, so. Um, since we didn't finish Luke. So I think that it, you know, in this week looking at it, I think it's appropriate that um, we finish up Luke 2 in, in the birth of Jesus. We talked about the, kind of the timeline. And, and there's a side of it that is it important. Um, it's not necessarily the, the most important. But on the other hand, God gave it to us, so I think we should be observant. You know, there's oftentimes things in the in the Bible that are that are details that we tend to overread and or, or read over, I guess, and don't really look at details. As far as conclusiveness, exactly what was the timeline? I don't know that we know them. You know, it's amazing in in looking and reading and studying. Um, I've seen about a bunch of different ones. Okay, what the timeline of Jesus' birth was, and and um, I. I do think it's important, my purpose in staying so long here, staying this last month in the birth of Jesus, isn't so much to talk about the, you know, Mary's pregnancy and how her birth went, you know. Um, not that that's not important, but, you know, this isn't a midwife class, you know, or something. But, the, but, I, but I do believe that what is very important and, and what I believe that God wants us to establish is a baseline for understanding the culture that Jesus, that God brought Jesus into, okay? Because that will enable us to understand what he says and how he responds and reacts to it. A lot of what you read in the New Testament is difficult to understand because that culture um, is different than ours. It's really no different than any other, I mean, I think that was the baseline of, you know, the predominance of perspectives. Um, you know, the, the probably some of the some of the more right-guided stuff that was in it was uh, had to do with the necessity of understanding the culture that you go into. Um, just because otherwise, how can you speak truth? How can you communicate? You know, um, you understand? How can you? How do you? How do you? How do you convey the need for a savior? Even though we are all humans um, and universally have wicked hearts, the same as each other, and God is the same God. It is important to understand cultures in order to be able to love them, to be able to minister to them. Otherwise, we can be very offensive. We can be very ineffectual. Um, I think that it's important, even in our own culture, to understand the culture we live in. I think it's important. I don't know. Did, did, you, did you guys kind of get that out of it when we were going through perspectives? I mean, you know, that, that what, what is it that this culture believes? I, I, is one of the things that to me stuck out. Um, you know, we live in a culture, and it's really easy to go, yeah, it's just our culture, so we just go on and just just float through it, in a sense, and say, how do I minister? But 
I, I believe that it's important to try to break it down and say, okay, what are the gods they serve? Because they do serve God. You know, be very clear, very clear that everybody is either a worshiper of the true and living God or an idolater. You are not, there is nobody who is not an, a worshiper. Okay? That is the way it is. So it's, I think that it is important for us to understand the gods of the cult, the gods of the culture that we live in, the gods of the culture that we're put into. And, in Jesus' case, I think that it's important to understand, you know, if we, the, the, the little movie, The Star of Bethlehem deal, um, which I think is good, and I would like us all to read it. I've got Steve looking at it, and hopefully, being the, being the geek that he is, um, I hope that, I hope you're listening, Steve, I love you too, but being the geek that he is, he, he will, um, be able to give me some feedback. I wanted him to, to, that's, pastor, for those who don't know, who was here prior, um, and he's a geek, so I, I love him dearly, but, you know, not but, he just is. Anyway, I, I would hope that he, he loves the little details of it, and he's, he's um, quite intelligent, you know, you wouldn't know it looking at him, but he's quite intelligent, so, um, so <laughs> sorry, Steve, I love you too, so, um, anyway, the... If God was the, the, the input or the, the baseline of that was that um, the star of Bethlehem foretold the birth of the king of the Jews. Okay, profound. It, I mean, it didn't. It, not just kind of. I mean, when the, when the when the Magi who understood what was being shown, who, who understood the, the phenomenal nature of the stars and how they responded. There wasn't a question. It wasn't presumable. They weren't going, well, I wonder if this could mean this. They came and fell at the, on the faces in front of the baby Jesus. Okay? I mean, that's a, it was, it was a definite time, a definite sign, um, that was given. And again, the thing to me that's amazing about that is God preordained that when He made the stars and set the universe in motion. Okay? So, does God care about the timeline and the details? I would say so. I mean, he, he set the stars in motion that that would foretell the birth of Jesus, um, the King, that would that would validate the King. Okay? Um, why did it matter? I mean, the nation Israel didn't even see it, you know. And I'm not exactly sure why they're they're they probably didn't have magi's, but they had astrologers. You know, and astronomers, and why they weren't really aware of it. I, I think that I think that in order for us to understand why the majority of Israel missed the signs and have that be relevant to our life. Um, so that's why I believe that it's important to get a foundation. So as we walk through and try to walk alongside of Jesus through Galilee and along the Jordan, and he's in the temple, and he's in Jerusalem, and he, and, we, and, and, he, and he makes these responses that any of us who read the Gospels go, oh my gosh, you know, he, he looked kind of politically incorrect, or it seems unloving, around make any sense at all. I think somebody referred the other day, you know, he, he says one thing, and somebody asks a question about it, and he responds with something that makes no sense, or has nothing to do with it, it seems. Well, context, we will understand um, his heart and what he was meaning to say, because he never acted unloving, uncaring, rude, unkind. He was always 
um, loving and caring. That looks different than what we perceive. It is probably the biggest problem with Jesus is that we perceive a loving person as somebody who's nice and never offends someone. And Jesus obviously displayed a different um, willingness in his love towards people um, in speaking truth. So I, I think that it's been... I, I'm confident for me. I mean, you, you guys, you'll have to excuse me because I get this great side benefit. I mean, I've really enjoyed studying this last month. Um, historical context. I mean, I haven't read as much Josephus as I had, you know, who was a contemporary historian or, or I actually honestly haven't gone to the books as hard as I've gone in the last month. Um, in a long time. Just all different, you know, dictionaries, historical perspectives, um, trying to understand, again, that, the, the, the nation Israel, the, the, the land of Palestine, um, that Jesus was, came into. So, I, let, let's try to look again a little bit at what he did in Luke. Um, I think the time frame, where, where we stand so far in the way that I see the time frame, even though it seems to be different, is it, is it sometime in the first, um, probably three months of, of Mary's conceptual conception, of Jesus' conception, um, by the Holy Spirit, Joseph found out about it, whether she says she was found to be with child. And that had to be, you know, I think that all of us should, I think it's important to put ourselves in that moment. And I think that's pretty easy to do. You know, here's, here's what you've looked forward to all your life. Um, and here's, you know, this this woman who you believed to be one thing, and and you still believed her to be one thing. But what a struggle! I mean, this was this was huge. All of a sudden, she came up pregnant, you know, doing it. And potentially, it came after she came back from visiting Elizabeth in the hill country for three months, which would make it even more difficult, maybe, you know, in doing it. She was found to be with child. Um, he went to bed one night, obviously troubled and stirring, ended up sleeping, and God said, marry her. He says he got up from his bed, went and took her to his wife, and kept her a virgin. He was very, very obedient to God. I mean, it's a... Mary and Joseph were very devout. I think that it's really just the whole um, framework of that family structure that God put Jesus into is phenomenal. I mean, the King of King and Lord of Lords. I mean, that he put him in this... He, he fulfilled all the kingly prophecies. That's what Matthew is about. He fulfilled the lineage of David, which is a kingly, the priestly lineage he fulfilled. So he, he fulfilled all those prophecies, but man, it sure didn't look like it. You know, he was, he was a poor little, probably teenage couple who were very poor. Um, you know, struggled. There, there's a good chance that they'd never even been to Jerusalem, okay, before. I mean, you can think about it. It's 140 miles one way. Okay. You know, if you're if you're rocking 20 miles a, a day, you know, one way, that's a week, you know, doing it, walking, um, and then a week back, um, that costs you money. It costs you time not making money. You know, um, who knows? You know, they were poor, and when they got to the temple, what were they going to do? I mean, it was, you know, it was tough. Um, plus, the dynamic, and in, in, in I'll put it out at first, there's, because I think it's really important that the scenario they were living in. Solomon built the original temple, right? 
And, and I mean, David wanted to, and David longed to, but God said, "Man, you're a man after my own heart." But but you are been a man of bloodshed. You have been a man of adultery. You're not the one to build my temple. And uh, okay, you know, so he he gathered and amassed and set up safety and and gave him um, peace with enemies around him. And and Solomon built the temple. Um, but the temple was in various states of decay and, and degeneration and, and um, falling apart and being beat up. Um, in, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed it. Right? I mean, he came in and just and ransacked it and took everything out of it. Um, 700 BC or something, you know, doing it when he, when they took the people off to Israel and. And the Jews were always just a troublesome lot. I mean, when you when you read the history of the Jews, they were, um, I guess, a lot like us. Pretty, pretty. What was the word? Indie. You know, I never quite understood what indie rock was, but now I, I guess indie means independent. It stands for so independent. We are lawless, basically. We have no. We're not. We're not associated with anyone. We're our own thing. We're independent. And I, I would say that that's a pretty pretty. That's a pretty. A uh, good description of how we most of us feel about in, as Americans. I'm free. I'm my own individual. I mean, it's it never ceases to amaze me how strong, how how much of a rugged individual. I don't follow anybody. I I marched on my own drummer as I'm a biker, dressing like a biker, looking like a biker, riding the same bikes as the rest of them, you know. But I'm the most wearing the same tattoos and looking exactly like each other, you know. Completely immersed in identification. I'm completely independent. I do my own thing. I don't. March to any drummer. I mean, we we all do, and and we tend to we're like sheep, and we tend to be to be followers. And in our in our culture, we're very very um, independent. Some of it comes it, it doesn't come from a from a right place. It comes from selfishness. You know, I don't want to have to be accountable to anyone. I don't want to have to be a you know. You don't even understand what a king looks like. Um, well, the Jews. The Jews were very ornery when you read the, the history. I mean, they were a tough one to manage. There, so the, the, the temple had been destroyed, and there had been, there'd been attempts to try to rebuild it and try to build it up. But there was, an, there was two temples, really. There was the Temple of Solomon, which was torn up, and then there was the temple that Herod built, Herod the Great. Okay? And, and Herod was the king of the Jews for 33 years or so, and, and he was the king at the time of Jesus' birth. Right? Well, Herod, Herod built another temple, the second temple. Um, only this temple was very, was, was, you know, it, it was twice as big as Solomon's temple. And, and part of that issue, and twice as big, of, there was this whole section of the temple and, and the Holy of Holies and, and, and the different facets of the religious part. And then there was a whole part of the temple that was basically business. It was basically um, buying and selling, and you know, I, I'm sure it had everything to do with buying and selling of turtle doves. You know, I mean, they probably didn't catch a couple doves on the way from Bethlehem to, to Jerusalem. Okay, there was there was turtle doves or, or pigeons. I mean, if you had to do that, you might have been out there a long time, and or or a goat or a sheep. So you bought you bought the the, the things of sacrifice. Okay. Um, and and obviously all of you know it was 
and turn the David a whip of nine tail, a, a, a whip that, that's a cat of nine tails, you know, fashioned it and went and drove the money changers out of the temple. Um, that's the part that he was talking about driving them out. That Herod had built this temple. Well, well, think about it for the setting that God brought Jesus into. God brought, he started this work about uh, 19 BC. Ten years. Temple, which was very opulent, which was very um, he, he did that temple, and it was complete. The temple part, not the rest of all the outbuildings and in the the double the size and the and the commercial part of it, but the temple itself was 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 probably completed about three years before Jesus was born. Okay. So, and, and for us, we don't, we don't, you know, so what, there was a building born. But you have to wait for a minute. I mean, set yourself back. By God's own decree, the temple was the center of worship. Okay? By God's own decree. God said in, that he would dwell, his Shekinah glory, his glory, his, his power would dwell in the Holy of Holies. Right? The temple was a very, very important place set up by God. The temple was the place for, for God's glory to dwell, for his, for his presence to dwell and exist. The, the temple was the place where, for the high priesthood to be, which was the mediator between us and God. Okay? The, the temple was a place where sins were atoned for. Okay? It was a very, very important place. I mean, the temple was... was uh, you know, I, I mean, it was it was the closest place that the humans on earth could be to God and going. So this was this was a big deal. Now, it, you know, God had God had said that, God had commanded that, God had caused them to build that, um, so that that was all this. The, the it was the center of their culture. It was the center of their community. It was the center of their identity. Okay, the temple was a very important place to the Jews, and the Jews were. Out, you know, it seemed like they were often in some kind of trouble with other nations, getting trashed and beat up and, and scattered and taken away and sent to captivity. God allowed this. Why? Because they were hard-hearted and rebellious, and they didn't they they weren't they didn't worship Him um, as they were to worship Him. So he, here was this. I mean, this had to be a, a pretty phenomenal thing throughout the the you know if, if there was a buzz, there was a buzz. Okay, I mean, this is. This is huge. The temple was was rebuilt. Um, this is the first time in hundreds of years. I mean, it had been a pretty decadent, ugly time, silent time. No prophets, anything since uh, you know, uh, since the end of the Old Testament, basically since Malachi, the last prophet. And and here, all of a sudden, was the temple. Well, when you're looking for the temple, you're you're looking. Okay, this is God. The, the, the thought and the, the feeling would be God is establishing us as a nation again, right? And this is the time for the Messiah to come. This is the time for the King to come and, and reign over us. At the time, Herod the Great was was called King of the Jews, but to most people, this had all kinds of bad feelings. I mean, again, he, we talked about it last week a little bit. He was an Edomite. Um, came from from Esau, okay, 
They were a nation that were that was adversarial to Israel, to the things of God, right? They they were controversial, and, and yet here was the guy who was set up as king of the Jews. They'd been they'd come in and become proselyte. They'd in captivity they'd been forced to be circumcised and become proselyte Jews again. You know, which is pretty wild. I mean, here's Esau that walked away and they'd come in. So this guy was seen. Um, plus, he was obviously a you know, an egomaniac, okay? And, and, and he um, taxed the people hard to do the building projects he did. And um, he set up the high priesthood. Now, Israel was allowed to be somewhat of an independent. Um, it wasn't a colony of Rome. It was allowed to be independent at that time with its own king. But the king was basically a puppet of Caesar, okay? And, and, and the... The, the the nation Israel was basically subservient and under the authority of Rome. Obviously had to pay taxes. That's why they were allowed to have their, quote, king, right? But their king's sovereignty was in complete subjection to Caesar, to the head of Rome. Undoing. But here was this king that, that was, by most people's idea, a non-Jew. You know, um, you know the, and they did not like him there. Right previous to that, the closest thing they'd had, they were still pretty aware in 150 years before, which, which when you read the Bible, read that over pretty quick, but 150 years before the Maccabees had come in and freed um, the nation Israel from oppression. They were dominated and, and beat up by a bunch of different groups and, and warring from, you know, below and above and the Syrians and everybody was... Buying, I don't know why everybody wants that piece of ground. You know, I mean, I, I, every picture I've seen, but I kind of go, why don't you just give it to them? You know, it just, it, it just seems like, oh my gosh, why do, you, why do you have everybody fight and die over this piece of ground? You know, doing it, it just. But they do and have and always have, and it's, according to what we know of eschatology, always will until Jesus comes and establishes His absolute authoritative kingdom. They, they thought this was going to happen. You know, they, they, they had already seen set free from oppression. The Maccabees were a bunch of, they're a bunch of BA dudes. You know, this, this old guy, which is when they, they were, they were trying to desecrate. They, they figured, the Syrians figured that if we get people to bow down and worship other gods, we'll stop this nationalism of Israel. Because this nationalism of Israel is really a problem. You know, we're trying to rule them, govern them, and they've got this really strong nationalism. So, so let's get them to go ahead and, and bow down to our other gods. So they were going throughout all the towns and, and having them do sacrifices to, not, you know, just kind of along, just kind of the same thing, you know. That, I mean, do not scorn too quickly because we do the same thing in our culture. In our, in, but they, here is this, this, uh, one of the, one of the local, Jews and, and he, he he did and he made started doing the sacrifice and there was a, a a Syrian guard with him and it was there having him do this in order to desecrate it and and this this old man from the Maccabees took a sword and just killed him said forget this man this is wrong you're doing this wrong and he had sons he had four sons and said all right let's go to the hills and who's with me and and it was a revolt that just kicked butt and took numbers. And and they they fought as a bunch of guerrillas, you know. I mean, the, the hills around there were pretty good for that. But, you know, there was all kinds of rocky crags and places to hide out. And, and I mean, they just 
for a very small, they exercised guerrilla warfare for several years, and they basically were so successful at it that the Syrians finally said, enough, man, you guys can have your autonomy in some way. You know, we're not going to try to do this. So the Jews that had a taste of freedom from revolt, okay, um, it, it's, it's probably, you know, there, there was still those people that were kind of wife was of that lineage of the Maccabees. Um, and, and therefore, when Herod's son from that wife, even though he killed that wife because that wife was maybe a threat, you know, she, the son from that wife, they accepted him as king because he came from this lineage of Maccabees, which, which were revolt. The zealots were probably a, a, a out or a, a remnant of the Maccabees. You know, and, and the zealots were still there during Jesus' time. Right? And, and they were probably a remnant of the Maccabees that were willing to against this oppressive rule so that they could worship. So here, here's this deal. I mean, you've you got to think of this context. Jesus is, is the, the, here's, I mean, this new thing that there's a new, amazing, phenomenal temple. Okay? That God had commanded him to have a temple. The Holy of Holies, it was, it was adorned amazingly and, and here's this temple this new temple that was in Jerusalem and every this this got to be this buzz right I mean it's going out this was only a couple years before Jesus maybe three years or something before Jesus was born as a baby so there was this buzz and this hype of that if God allowed us if we're allowed to build this new temple God is going to establish his kingdom here because that was the center of everything for them okay and here's this new temple not just a refurbished Swept out, kind of cleaned one, a new one in doing it. Um, and they thought, man, this is it. So they were looking for the king. Okay, be clear about that. Mary and Joseph, I'm sure. I'm sure this spread throughout. Okay, I'm sure they were looking for the king. So when God told them, this is the king, this is the Messiah, I mean, that had to be a bit of a make your heartbeat deal. Okay? I mean, because that, that's huge. Okay, here's this king to come in and, and, and finish off this deal and, and set, set us up as the nation Israel again. Um, so when Mary and Joseph here, we, we jump in after the birth of Jesus and, and the shepherds had come and, and they'd said, you know, here he is, man. This is, this is it. Um, this is the Savior. You know, this is the Savior, Christ our Lord. And they're going, wow, Really? You know, okay. And, and, so, the, and, and God had, God had told them that, but, you know, I don't, it's still gotta be, I mean, this is, this is the big deal. Now, now again, they thought that he would be in conjunction with the temple, right? That he would be, um, the high priest. Now, sometimes during that period of time, <coughs> quite often, quite naturally, after the reign of the Maccabees, um, or after the, the, the freedom where they set him free, the king and the high priest kind of became kind of... In the Old Testament, there wasn't a king, right? When he set up the, the Old Testament Levites, um, where he set up the priestly role and the priestly reign, there wasn't a king. And, and did God ever want them to have a king? No. He said, I'm your king, right? I mean, high priest, we want you to have a priest to lead you in worship, to lead you 
in, because there needs to be atonement for sin and we need somebody to do the sacrifices. We need somebody as a mediator between us, you and God. We need somebody who is, who is, in a sense, set aside for that purpose, dedicated for that purpose. Um, but they, God, when, when the people wanted a king, I mean, no way, man. You guys don't want a king, right? Samuel said, don't. You know, don't do this. This is not a good thing. And the people revolted so strong that finally Samuel said, God told Samuel, well, take Saul and have him be king. And after that, it very seldom went well. Okay? There was only a few that were, that were worth a hoot, you know, in the whole process of the kingdom. They typically were pretty, pretty bad. But in, during the period of time, the natural role of the king in some ways, because the high priest was really the lead, the, 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 the human leader of the nation, right? Under Israel. The high priest was the man who heard from God and gave wisdom from God and gave instruction from God. Well, that would be the natural role for a king, if you have a king. Saul obviously wasn't that. So it had kind of transferred to that, where that this, this, this priestly king was the king. Well, that is what Jesus is. That is what the Messiah was going to be, was a priestly king. Right? He was going to be the high priest. He was going to be the king of kings. I mean, this is, this is, think of the, the crescendo that's building in Mary and Joseph as they're doing this. And, and, and consider that they went to the new temple probably for the first time. Okay? I mean, and this is a huge deal. I mean, they, they, they came from a town of, Nazareth at the time was probably somewhere around 50 to 100 people. I mean, it's Hickville, you know? It, it's a small town. I mean, their synagogue in Nazareth, you know, was probably a, a room for 20 people. It was probably big enough for, you know, it was, you know, it was only a synagogue for 20 people, probably. You know, it wasn't this, this big, you know, we tend, I, I, I unfortunately, in, in my thinking all the time, I think of Jesus when he went back to Nazareth and he, he was preaching in the synagogue, you know, doing it. And I tend to think of this giant building with hundreds of people in it doing it. And no, that wasn't the way it was. You know, the synagogue in, in Nazareth was, was little proportionate to what, you know, the, the number of people they had in town. And, and the estimates are probably there was 50 to 100 people that lived in that town. Um, it was a very rural town. There was probably over 100,000 people in Jerusalem. Um, permanent residents that lived there, okay? During the feast, like Passover, there was well over a million people, okay, that showed up there. I mean, that's a rather, oh my gosh, you know, for come riding in on your donkey to that, you know, doing it. I mean, that's a, that's a big, big deal. And, it, and, and, and the distinction between their little synagogue in their hometown and the temple, I mean, they were doing according to the law. The law still called them to to dedicate their firstborn son, right? That the law, this is the law of God, the commandment of God to dedicate your firstborn son. There was the 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 go to the temple for purification after the birth. I don't think that everyone um, necessarily went to the temple for purification. That would be pretty awkward. Every child that was born, I doubt if every mother went to the temple, but they went to the they, by law, they were had to go through the purification rites of washing and cleansing and doing it. So here, here we are. The it hadn't shown up yet. I think that the, that the time frame. I, I can't see it happening any other way. I mean, the, there's the the time for purification is 40 days basically total. All right. By the time you 
um, go through the eight days prior to circumcision, they do circumcision, and after that, for 33 days. Okay? So this is about six weeks. And, and there's, you know, that, that's a pretty short time that I doubt if they went, it was somewhere around 145 miles to Bethlehem. It was 140 to Jerusalem, 145 to Bethlehem or so anyway. Out if they went home. Just doesn't. There would be a lot of reasons that would motivate them to stay in Bethlehem. I'm sure. Uh, one poor, you know, it's hard to travel. It's hard to do it. They knew the people. They knew this new temple was just here, right? And you've got to be thinking in your mind, this baby's going to be the king. We're, he should be near Jerusalem, right? I mean, he should be, he should be in the center of, of Israel. He should be, he should be participating in this new temple. I mean, the whole country is just, is prepared and ready for him, you know. I mean, we've got a brand new temple for him to do, you know, we've got a new church building, you know, doing it. I mean, it's just a, it was a, it was a, it, I can't imagine that Mary and Joseph weren't thinking, we need to move, you know? I mean, we need to move from Nazareth. I mean, what's gonna happen? How's he gonna get educated in Nazareth? How's he going to, how's he going to become king out of Nazareth? I'm sure they had to be asking those questions, right? I mean, um, and, and I'm sure they were thinking, I, I'm not sure. I speculate that they were thinking as they were in Bethlehem, Going, you know, what are we going to do? I mean, God led us here. They, they had to be pretty. Here we are, poor, and they were poor. Again, the right, the right sacrifice for them to to take, the right offering for them to take was a lamb, you know, or a goat. But right? was a lamb, a young lamb, and, and you know, a pure lamb. That was the right sacrifice. The fallback, default, you're too poor to get it correctly, was turtle dove. Okay. And, 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 and you say, well, maybe they just didn't put that much precedence in things because they were just simple hippie kind of folks or something. No, they, they were told this is the king of the Jews. Do you think that they would want to be obedient to doing it right? Doing it right was a lamb, okay? Again, the fallback thing was turtle doves and our pigeons, all right? So I'm sure if it was any way possible for them to come up with a lamb, just a lamb, I mean, I don't know what that cost and that, Herodian craziness marketplace, but uh, but a lamb they could have bought one in Bethlehem. As far as that shoot, they might have just taken one out of the place Jesus was born in, you know, doing it. But I was just stealing, I know. But they, they probably could have gotten a lamb for fairly cheap, but they didn't even have the means to do that. I mean, it's it's a big deal that they didn't have a lamb to sacrifice. I mean, it tells you how poor they were. That's what God brought Jesus into. This simple, poor, you know, educated, we don't know. You know, obviously they were educated enough to, um, but there was no rabbinical schools in, in Nazareth. There was no rabbinical schools around there. You know, where was Jesus going to grow up being taught? Where was he going to grow up being literate? You know, understanding the Bible. Obviously his parents did a phenomenal job, okay? He was, when he was 12 years old, he astounded the scribes and the Pharisees 
with his knowledge and understanding of the Bible, of the Old Testament scriptures. Um, they did a really good job. You know, the, the, I, Mark was saying, you know, they were probably illiterate, you know, or near illiterate doing it. I'm thinking, well, I don't know. By the time Jesus was told, he was incredibly literate. And I'm sure he was probably homeschooled. You know, it's not like there was a college of the Pharisees close to Nazareth, you know, where he was, he was trained. So, he was probably trained at home. Probably trained by Mary and Joseph. So they were, they were obviously knowledgeable of the scriptures. Plus the fact that when Mary, when Mary, you know, cried out and praised to God when she went to visit Elizabeth, I mean, what was it? I forget the count, but it was eight or nine different scriptures that she quoted in that, okay, in that praise. So she was obviously not illiterate. I mean, she had, She'd read the Old Testament scriptures. She knew the Old Testament scriptures. Whether she read them or just heard them enough to know. But she knew in her mind. She, she understood um, the Old Testament scriptures. So here's this, this. This is the scene we're coming to. So this new temple is built. The Herodian temple. The, the second temple. I mean, it was, it was grand. It was huge. Um, in, in fact, let me, let me just read. This is the same temple that, that a phenomenal statement was made. In fact, it was a very, very powerful statement. Part of the reason that Jesus got killed. Okay? In, in, later on in Luke 21, um, verses 5 and 6, there, this is a phenomenal statement that, that Jesus made that got him in big, big trouble. It says, and while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts. Okay? I mean, this is a place of awe and grandeur, okay? Well, while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, as for these things which you are looking at, their crown their, this was, this was everything to them, right? I mean, this, this temple, this new temple was, Everything that, I mean, how this guy be not whacked? This guy can't be from God. This is, this is the temple as God told us. So here's these changes that are happening. Here's Mary and Joseph doing it. And let's pick it up in verse 21 of Luke 2. And when eight, and when eight days were completed for his circum, before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Again, we talked, I said a little bit last week, this, they're heading for their honeymoon. Okay? I mean, they're, they're going to the temple. I mean, they're both virgins. They've longed for this day. They, they've now had no sexuality, or, you know, they haven't, Joseph hasn't known Mary for this whole period of time, for this last near a year, okay, that he's been there, and and I don't know what their engagement was prior to that. This is something they've longed for their whole life. It's something they've they've lived in purity and sanctity. They they have no guilt. They don't have shame. They don't have immorality and purity in their lives. They're they're going on their honeymoon. I mean, they're going to go to this temple, this giant temple, dedicate this child who is going to be called the son of the Most High God, who is going to be the King of Kings, who is the Messiah. And they'll go, I mean, I I just, you guys need to 
think about the, 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 the Mary was just, and Joseph were just both going, oh my gosh, you know, this is huge. We're going to, in, into this new temple to dedicate our firstborn son who's going to be the king of the Jews. And, I mean, I'm sure the hearts were just racing and then we can, we can go consummate our marriage, you know, even. I mean, this is a, yeah, I mean, this is a sweet, sweet thing that they're, um, obviously, you know, just, uh, excited about, extremely excited about, okay? And, and so they go, and when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons, I think that's an important phrase that we need to understand because it's something that I would ask you to consider and and I would ask you to consider to refrain yourselves from calling legalism. Um, they They did according to what was written in the law of the Lord. We get, when, when we go later and Jesus talks about... Um, Many will come to me and, and they will say, Lord, Lord, in your name we did miracles. In your name we cast out demons. In your name we did works of wonder. We did all these things in your name. And he said, you know, depart from me. I never knew you. You who practiced lawlessness. Okay? I think that that's a, maybe one of the foundational considerations we need to deal with in our culture. Because our culture says we are under grace. We are not under law. Okay? And, and, and all of us, all of us, being the humans we are, love that statement. Okay? In our flesh. Okay? I don't have to obey a law. I'm free to do what I want to do. And God's grace covers me in it. Okay? And, and, and I, I make a statement in the past, and, and I don't mean to diminish or make it light, because it is not. It is the most, one of the strongest tools for Satan to take people to hell. Just like Jesus said, depart from me, I never do you who practice lawlessness. Okay? We tend to, we tend to believe that, okay? that God is forgiven. And I have this sin, all I need to do is discharge it on the card, because he already paid for it. And it, it's got an unlimited account on it. Right? And so, it, it, it's already covered. It doesn't, I, I, I don't want to, and I, I really want to try not to, and I really want to try to be better, but I got a credit card. I mean, it's not that I'm really, there isn't going to be any payment or judgment or accountability even. Right? It's, it's, it's unlimited credit. It's not going to overdraw because he died for all sins and the sins of all men. And we look at grace as God's overlooking sin. God. I said it, I will say it again, I will continue to stand on this. God has never overlooked sin, never will overlook sin. God is a just God. God is a righteous God. God will judge all sin and either He will put it on Jesus on the cross or we will stand before Him and answer for it. It's only two words that's going to go down with God's judgment. Okay? An answer for your own sin in which will spend eternity.
will put every sin on Jesus. Because he died for the sins past, at the time. Did he die for my sins? Did he die? He died for your sins. That grace may abound. Sin. Or will be done. And, and it does matter. It does make a difference. To go on sinning after we understand that Jesus died to set us free from sin, that Jesus died to forgive us you know, of, of guilt and shame. To go on sinning is a spit in his face. Sin causes death. And for me to go on sinning means I don't care that you died. Deal with it. Okay? And, and you died for all sins and give me my credit card and get over yourself, God. It's an amazing audacity that we live under. We have no fear of God. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right? That's a very, very important foundation in our lives. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's the way it's always been. That's the way it still is. And it is the way it always will. When we read, when, when God tells us to do something, when Jesus tells us to do something, when we look at the hundred plus times where there's a direct command in the New Testament, a command, not a suggestion, a command. And we say, well, I can if I want to and I don't have to if I don't know because I'm under grace. Really? When, 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 you, the, the, and you say, well, we don't really act like that. Oh, yes, we do. As a, as a culture, as a church in America. When God says, even, even if we come up with some extrapolated use, okay, for divorce, we all know the statement that God says, God hates divorce. So what does it mean? If, if God Almighty says, I hate divorce, and we say, but you need to get over it. You need to deal with it, God. You might hate divorce, but you need to deal with it. Right? And, and what is that in our... How is that viewing God? How is that responding to God? Um, is that a fear of God? Is that a respect for God? That is American Christianity. God, get over it, and you'll now you need to forgive me, God, because I've got this credit card here. You need to forgive me and make my life right and bless my life. The the the, the issue isn't do we all have sin in our past? We all have sin in our past. The issue is we can be absolutely forgiven and free from guilt and shame and free from the issue is now. If, if, it, if it's I've responded to God in the past, I'm doomed to death. Okay? If I am judged on, on how I have lived my life in regard to God, we are all need to hang on that cross and die. Okay? Period. The issue is what do we do now? The issue is where do we stand now? Are we willing to be obedient, to accept the love and mercy and compassion and grace, the unmerited favor of God towards us. 
God's grace is not that He overlooked sin. God's grace is that He forgave you of your sins. He sent His own Son, not because, to die for our sins, all of our sins. Okay. That's His grace. Not when I deserved it. Not when I was worthy of it. When I was unworthy of it, when I was rebellious towards Him, God sent His Son to die for me. That's it's not overlooking sin. I sin. This is what the whole temple was about, is they're walking up to there. Right? This is this being obedient to the law was imperative then. How are you right with God? By by sacrifice. Okay? By sacrifice in the temple. I mean, this was the place where you could be justified before God through, through obedience to His law. Okay? This was the place where there was a high priest, a mediator between you and God. I mean, this was a, this was a phenomenal thing. Be, be, this is the same temple that, that in 70 AD, as Jesus predicted, we just read in, in Luke, was torn down every Every stone. And never rebuilt. And if you go there now, Jerusalem, it's ugly. You know, I don't really have a... I mean, there's a mosque on top of where the temple was. You know, it, it's, it's pretty sick and pathetic. Um, it's a, it's, this, is a, this is a transitional moment in time with God and man. It's radical because they were being correct in going into the temple to offer sacrifice of turtle doves. They, they, were, they were being correct in ceremonially, wa- ceremoniously washing, okay? Going through the rites of purification. They, they, were, they were being correct um, in dedicating their child, firstborn child. I, I, I really believe that's why Mary and Joseph really wanted to. And I think... In Jerusalem, you would think, gosh, you know, you'd really want to be raised there in the middle of it all if you're going to be the king of the Jews. But obviously, as God does in our lives, and they were obedient to God rather than doing what they seemed to be right. They were doing what was right now, but soon they would be forced out of it, right? They would be forced into Egypt, and then they wanted to come back and probably wanted to come back to Bethlehem after Herod had died, after he killed babies. When you look at here again, here was this this temple. You know, maybe as magnificent, maybe even opulent. Okay, I mean it was it was, and this was the center of Judaism. They're, they're walking in there, being obedient. I mean, you know, an amazing thing. So they they came in to offer a pair of turtle doves and two young. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. It doesn't say anything about him being a priest. He was just a righteous and devout man in Israel. 
and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Again, a man led by the Spirit of God. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Now, I, you know, the, the, I've always read that is, as he, at that moment, right when Mary and Joseph, he happened to be in the Spirit and came into the temple. Okay? It doesn't necessarily say that. Okay? This might have been something he did regularly. Daily, right? Would that be the right thing to do and the right way to enter the temple? That would be the right way for him always to enter the temple. Being led and guided, submissive to the Holy Spirit. Parents brought... He wasn't the priest. He wasn't... He just happened to be a guy there. I'm sure it was, can I hold your baby? You know, can I hold your, can I hold your baby? Okay. He took him in his arms and he blessed God and he said, now Lord, excuse me, this, my translator years ago in King Old Elizabeth or so, try to, now Lord, you, thou, thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. Because he'd been told that he would see before he'd see. And, and, and my, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people. Obvious. If, you, if, you know, if you're led by the Spirit of God, and you're aware, it is obvious. Okay? A of revelation to the Gentiles, which was radical. Here's this Jewish guy in the middle of the, of the temple saying, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, although he was quoting an Old Testament scripture or prophecy, and the glory of your people Israel. I mean, here's here's Mary and Joseph again. I mean, what a day. I mean, you know, here's this. You know, who, who knows? I mean, they they might have they might have stayed in Jerusalem that night. They might not. Five miles, you could walk it, right? They might have gone up there, walked up in the morning, and to do this, and then went back. They it's. You know, at some point, it seems like at this point, they had, they had a house they were staying in. They weren't still in the stable. Um, you know, I, I I like to think that when some of the people around them heard and the stir became of what the shepherds had said about this baby, right? I mean, that was a big deal. They said, this is the son of the Most High God. This is the Messiah. The people were, the people said, okay, well, maybe if this is true, well, you guys need a place to stay. You know, maybe you need to come and stay in our house. You can stay in our place. Because they seem to have a place. So that here they are in this temple, and what a day. You know, they're going up. You know, again, this might have been the first time they ever saw the temple. You know, the new temple, this, this grand thing that was there. The center of the, of the, their cultural relationship with God. The center of their personal relationship with God. And his father and his mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. To Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even his own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. You know, G- Jesus is still is still a point of unity for those who believe in him and a point of disunity for those who don't. I mean, look at Jerusalem right now. It is so factionized. 
and beat up, you know, whether it's the whether it's the Muslims, whether it's a myriad of other religions, talk about an apostate place. Everywhere and every corner, from what I hear and what I read, see that they're selling trinkets and this little thing about Jesus and these are representatives of John the Baptist. These are this. You can get all these little things to take home to do it, which I don't know that it's any different than they were doing in Jesus' days in Herod's temple. I think it's It's important for us to realize why did God, if it was so, the, the foundation of where Jesus came in, and, and he lived in this context of the temple, and he lived in this context of, of Herod obviously died, but his sons, see Ray, but his sons, his sons took over, and his sons were, his sons were a mess. And that's the context that Jesus was was raising. The, 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 the whole region was just in turmoil. It actually became a province of Rome because they were rebellious during Jesus' time and came under Roman rule while Jesus was there. So here you still got this, this new temple and they've got their king, but he ain't quite right. We need a better one, you know, because this guy's really kind of not really who would want him to be on doing it. And, and then Roman rule comes in oppression. Now we even need one even more because now we even lose our, our own king and our sovereignty. Now we're actually a province of Rome under Roman rule with a Roman guard there and Roman, you know, battalion there set up in Jerusalem. And oh my gosh, you know, this is, this is only going worse and there's a sense of urgency. God tore down the temple, got rid of it. And I guess I would ask you guys, us all to think in our own hearts. The reason I believe God tore down the temple completely um, was because it became an idol. Uh, the temple was an idol. And God made it... And we, and, and we, say, we need to relate that to our lives because it is very, very, very easy for us to be idolaters. Okay? Particularly in a day and age where we're so intellectually arrogant that we are hard-hearted beyond belief. We, we, I don't have any wooden images in my house, so I am not an idolater. Idolatry does not start with an image. Idolatry starts in the heart. And idolatry is anything we put in the place of loyalty to God. Okay? Anything that we put in the place of loyalty to God. Whether that's me, whether that's whether, whether that's, you know, the pagans, as they call them, those who don't know God, their idols become pretty easy, right? Sexuality. Covetousness. Sexual covetousness is idolatry. The Bible is very clear about that, right? We can see them. Their riches, materialism, wealth, fame, okay? Acknowledgement, power. Those are their, their, those are their idols. But we don't have idols. That's a lie. We evolved. There was not a more idolatrous place, probably on the face of the earth, than Jerusalem. The, the center of the Most High God. They worshipped the temple. That was their place. It, it, as religious people, we do the same thing. You know? Well, you can only read one translation because that's the only valid translation. You know what that is? Idolatry. 
You can, you can, see Natalie, you can, you can only read, you can only sing old hymns. Because that's the only, that's the only, you, you have to be baptized. You have to go to a certain church. You have to have, be sprinkled with water or sprinkled with, or dunked or immersed or whatever. Okay? I mean, we have our idolatry too. Things that we put in a position of loyalty. How, what do we, where, where do we find our, our sense of, of rightness with God? What gives us our sense of rightness with God? God always meant for that to be in our heart by the Holy Spirit. It's an, it's an amazing thing. And I'll leave it like this. Jesus went to the temple. Jesus was obedient to the law. Not Jesus. His parents were. But Jesus was taken to the temple in obedience to what God had said. And within Jesus' lifetime, God completely changed that. Tore down the temple. Said, no longer will that be. And. And. We, as his people, would be the temple of the Most High God. That's a very, very amazing thing. When, when you consider the prominence and the importance of the temple, Jesus fulfilled all those things. Who is our high priest now? Jesus. Where does our forgiveness of sin come from? The temple and sacrifices or Jesus? What is to be the center of our life, of our community, of our, of, of, of our, of our worth, of our social structure? Jesus. Where is that, where is the place where we are close to God? Where we're intimate with God? How has that happened? Through Jesus. Jesus was the fulfillment of the temple. Jesus was the fulfillment of everything happened. Is, is the building in and of itself necessarily a bad place? No. But they became very idolatrous. They did not even realize. They did not even recognize their Messiah. Some did. Some that were in tune with the Spirit of God recognized the Messiah from God. Most didn't. Most didn't recognize the Messiah and they became a very, very idolatrous, hard-hearted people. And God said, nothing tore down. This is not the center. This is not where I dwell. This is not where I exist. This This is not where you gain forgiveness or right standing with me. I'm tearing it down. I'm not going to allow it to continue this way. A couple more verses. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of, of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then, as a widow, to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. Always in reading that, I always thought of, she was there for 60 years? But, but quite possibly... She was there since the new temple was built, right? I mean, she obviously was a very devout lady, right? I mean, she was, and 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 since his new temple, this which was grand. Again, we we don't poo-poo it. This was what God wanted. This is what God set up for him to do. Again, it wasn't maybe, and just some bad people came and tore it down. God Himself did what to the temple to show how He felt about it when Jesus died on the cross. At the moment that Jesus died on the cross and cried out, Father, it's finished. 
The temple was ripped. The, the, the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everybody. The place where God's glory dwelt. Where a high priest went once a year to offer sacrifice for the people. That was ripped into. That veil was ripped by God. Not from bottom to top as a human would. But as God ascended down to us, ripped in two. No more. That's not where God dwells. Now where does God live? Where is God's Holy of Holies? That's an amazing thought about our lives when we think about God's okay with sin. Where is God's Holy of Holies now? Here. This is where God's kind of glory dwells. This is where the presence of God dwells on the earth. In our hearts. We are the temple now of the Most High God. And, and, and what the amazing thing about that is, not a temple made with hands. Okay? Not a temple made with hands. A temple made by the Most High God. God formed us in the womb. God made us to be His temple. That's an amazing, amazing transition that is happening. But you look at this 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 radical, even dichotomy that's going on with Mary and Joseph thinking. You look at the, 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 in this, in this, they had everything figured. Very, very dangerous thing. Having everything intellectually properly understood. Historically sound and, and, and justified and understood. Okay? That they didn't listen to the Spirit of God and they missed their Messiah. We, we, I don't, it can be emphasized enough the necessity of being, we talked about this last week, but the, the necessity of being led by the Spirit of God so that we do not miss the purpose of God. Because we can have it all figured out and understand what church is supposed to look like and come and act correctly and what Christianity is supposed to look like and how we're supposed to act and what we're supposed to do. But if we're not led by the Spirit of God, we're in trouble. Let's pray. I'm not sure, God, that that we're much different. As we're raised and come into this culture of Christianity in our country and we think we have it figured. Oh, just a little modification. Just a little cleaning up. But we understand your church and your purpose and how it's supposed to look and how it's supposed to function. So we just need to be about that work to make it function as we think it should. I'm not sure that that is, in fact, I'm actually pretty sure that it's not true. I'm confident that it should look quite, quite different. And the only way that we're going to know that is to be led by your Spirit. Is to live our lives out as the temple of the Most High God. As your temple. What an amazing, amazing change that you made when you poured out your Spirit on the earth. Versus existing in, 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 in the Holy of Holies. Obviously, your Spirit was leading and guiding. It was leading... You know, Mary, Joseph, it was leading, and Simeon, it was leading, Anna, the prophetess, it was leading many people that were devout. Now your spirit is poured out to all of us. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for calling us as Gentiles 
I thank You for calling us as Your adopted sons and daughters. But, but the temple that You have now that we worship in is, is no less sacred. Is no less magnificent. You want to come and dwell in us. I thank You that that you are not that you don't dwell in a house made of stone. I thank you that you are not contained in some idol. God, I ask you to reveal the idolatry. If we could take if we could take anything away from today, I ask us you I didn't do a very good job probably of revealing but ask your Holy Spirit to reveal idolatry in all of us. You hate idolatry. You hate it so much you tore the temple down. We are the only the only people, the only worshiping people that don't have a building, that don't have an icon, that don't have a figure. We have you, the true and living God. And I ask you to myself, all of us to be honest be perceptive, to be willing to hear the voice of the Most High God who cries out against idolatry in the smallest way and the grandest way. We tend to be pretty self-righteous. And look at, look at the Jews these days and go, you're idolaters. Look at the Muslims who are in Jerusalem and go, you're idolaters. Look at the people at a wailing wall stuffing prayers in some stone wall thinking that that puts them closer to you. The prayer is closer to you and we say that's idolatry. You look at the, the trinkets and, and all the things sold that supposedly are something we can bring home from the Holy Land. And we say that's idolatry. But God, I ask you to open our eyes and cause us not to be blind to the idolatry. Anything that takes away from our loyalty to you. Anything that takes away from our devotion to you. We look at our lives and we say, it is a struggle and it's difficult to, to participate in a ten-minute Sabbath a day of laying aside everything for the purpose of, of you, of spending time with you. And we realize the difficulty of that and we should greatly fear idolatry in our lives. So I ask you to reveal that. I thank you for bringing Jesus when you did in perfection, the timing. And I ask you to give us wisdom to understand His purpose and His, His truth. Amen.